An investigator. Oh, <laughs> investigator. That's perfect. <laughs> I thought that would be a nice little, nice little treat for our episode today. Yeah, it ties in perfectly. And in case you wondered what we are going to be doing today, we are going to be, co- be covering weird animal mating rituals. Because who doesn't need to know? Exactly. Everybody needs to know. <laughs> And that's why it is Contagious Curiosity with Cat and Lady, because we ask the real, you know, nail-biting, nitty-gritty questions. Yeah, like, (laughs) what does it look like when these two creatures have sex? You know, the normal conversations. Exactly. What does that penis do, and where does it come from? (laughs) (laughs) She said in a white lab coat. (laughs) And in case you're tuning in for the first time... Uh, this is Contagious Curiosity. Um, this is our sixth episode. Woo-hoo! And over there, I got Lainey. Hello, I'm Lainey. And I'm Kat. Oh, yeah. And mm. I think we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dive in just, uh, for curiosity. So how has your week been? It's been good. It's been pretty good. Um, I went and got a schedule, or I got scheduled for a colonoscopy. For the beginning of June, so you know it's been oh, a nice. really fun, exciting week. Yeah, you're just you're hitting it a lot sooner than other people might do. Yeah, but at least yep. you're getting that. Not fear even out of the thirty. Way. Not even thirty. They gotta go okay. and take a nice little biopsy and check out what's uh what's going on in there. So that's fun. It's only it's only a little piece of you. Only yeah, it's a little piece. piece what's another little piece? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how's your week been? It's been good. I've been digging in the yard still, um, planting new seedlings. Uh, for those who are plant lovers who listen to the to the podcast, I live in zone uh, three and four, so a lot of my June crops really have to stay inside till our last frost. And even though we had eighty degree temperature today, at eventually within the next week or two, it's gonna hit that twenty twenty uh, degree mark. And so I don't trust to put anything that I love outside yet. Yeah, that's always a a real shot in the dark. Figuring yeah, out apart exactly from the when cold hearty. <laughs> Right. Well, a lot of a lot of vegetables and flowers do thrive in like a more of a crisp air, and that's why they're good for for spring flowers. But still, um, you know, I I've been focusing more on my vegetable gardening, um, mixing my own compost, all that good stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm actually looking at some compost barrels. So that's really just been the week, apart from working. Mm, nice and earthy. I love it. <laughs> it I don't have any amazing. opportunity to do like anything of that nature where I live because I mean if I really got creative I'm sure I could figure something out as far as growing inside yeah yeah you have you could just lean out your kitchen window and you have that roof space not in my kitchen it's just a drop down to nothing where am I thinking then uh the bedroom I think yeah there's the roof access there and could probably grow something out probably like a squash can I squash (laughs) just could be uh you remember that story when we were growing up i don't know i don't know if this was i I doubt it but there was a period where in madison uh i think i was in high school during this time somebody had put um 
an alpaca on top of like a three-story building just walked it up the stairs you remember the the, the, the bottle redemption liquor store combo yes i do uh, yeah yes they put an alpaca on the top of that roof and it scared the shit out of people for like oh a few days god yeah i don't know why they did that it must have been that's like a, I don't hilarious know. i don't know but I, all that memory town, will never boredom. go away that's just called small town boredom a small town boredom what exactly. do you guys want to do tonight i don't know put an alpaca on the roof how yeah, about okay. we put that paca on the roof <laughs> All right. Why not? Why not? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Lexi and I used to, um, we would go to the store in Solon and we would get a big coconut and we would walk from her house to the elementary school. I mean, this, we were in high school and we would pass uh, this one house every time as we would be walking towards the elementary school and we'd steal the same rock from that house, like out in front of their yard, steal that same rock every time and crack the coconut open with the same rock. And then we'd bring and it the- back and like, put it back exactly where it was supposed to be. But it's just, you know, weird things you do in a small town when there's literally yeah. nothing else to do. I'm just <laughs> chuckling a little internally because you guys even have found a coconut in Solon, Maine. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, the superette just has, whew, it's got, they do you know everything. It's one of those places where, you know, like, like I've always, because one, one of my favorite food groups is sandwiches. And I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, they're I'll amazing. tell you. The Fucking small amazing. town stores, the mom and pop stores, the delis, like mm-hmm. the random gas station that's not like yes. a corporate gas station. They have the best damn sandwiches. Yes. And Pinkham's that little, Python. That little st- I, know, I know. I didn't even know what the hell that was until oh, only a few that. years ago. Is they also, is that, the, is that the one where they have like the fried chicken? Yeah. Okay. It's what a, is like on that? It's a sub roll and it's chicken fingers that have been deep fried. And then they cut them up into little pieces and it's like a bunch of ranch dressing and um, lettuce. And I think maybe they put tomato on it. But I mean, yeah. Oh, God. It's so good. <laughs> It's really, so I, good. I thought that they would have put more. I thought they would have put more. I, on I think it. there is more on it, but they that's, probably, that's have, yeah. probably. I was just like, just put <laughs> chicken fingers and ranch in between two slices of bread. That's that's a sandwich. <laughs> ranch. Yes. <laughs> oh god, but yeah, um, the Superette has the garbage can. That's one of their sandwiches that is like <laughs> five inches thick. Mm, delicious. I I've seen those. Yeah, but the, you know the the bread's never strong enough. I don't know. Yeah, maybe nice. it is at the Superette, but. You get to a certain point when you bite it and like everything just kind of pushes out the backside of oh. the bread. And then so you take a too much of a bread bite and then there's not enough bread for the sandwich. I've the had that of... problem with every sandwich ever. It doesn't matter breakfast, what size it is. Breakfast always... sandwiches. That's why you got to have that's why you got to have a burrito. <laughs> just hold it. Yes. I agree. I agree. The little gas station down the road from my house, a little mom and pop uh, is uh, really known for their breakfast burritos. And I, I mm, they have steak in it. Good. They have like a tater tot, um, egg, you know, onions, peppers. Mm-hmm. It's like this whole, oh, it's a beautiful mess of goodness. And steak. I mean, oh, can't go so wrong good. with steak. Did you ever go to KKD's Country Cart Deli in Burlington? When no. There, that like They stay open until like 3 or more a.m. <laughs> because they wait for everybody to get out of the bars and then you can go there. And they have like full ass breakfast sandwiches and sandwiches like mozzarella cheese sticks on them. And uh, you know, also of course they do. Chicken they have, they have drunk food. and whole what? Drunk food. Yes. Oh, it's all drunk food, and it's the best drunk food. It's the best breakfast sandwich that you can get around. Oh my gosh, I just want to go back to Burlington and eat you, all the food. You brought oh, me to a lot food. of places. Oh, when I've I've gone down a few times, and you brought me to a lot of places. But for some reason, and it wasn't even my favorite. But the aesthetic 
and the gimmick of it really sticks with me was the skinny pancake. Oh, so good. Yeah, yes. it was so good. Yes. The crepes. It was the first time the I ever had a crepe. The crepe. The first time I ever had a crepe. Yeah. The, the, I, I can't remember the name of the one I got, but it's, it was like shredded beef with um, mushrooms and just like southwest spicy sauce and just onions. Oh mm. my God, it's so good. Just thinking. Ugh. I think I did get a savory myself. I can't remember, wow. but. Um, I've thought about I've thought about a crepe recently because I liked I, there was one night I was just craving sweet and yes. and I thought that yeah I thought it would be a nice little thing to try. You but know what I, this is? Do you know what this here. is? This is what? really incredible radio that everybody wants to listen to and oh. is very entertaining. <laughs> That's what this is. It is informative as well. So I mean we're listen, doing our job. <laughs> sandwiches, sandwiches, crepes is a great. Is a great lead-in to animal mating rituals. Exactly. It's one of the same because usually we need their mating, you know, mostly, I guess, mostly like chickens because we need their eggs. I guess like they're the only ones. Wow. Way to, way to disregard <laughs> the entire animal kingdom for the fucking chicken. I feel like, I don't know, man. There's not a whole lot of animals I've got here that I necessarily want to snack on. And I've always wanted to try a snake. I ha- you know what? I never have. Which is interesting. I've tried oh a lot God, of like meat. Anyway, nice oh my God, yeah, we're doing it again. Yeah. Falling back we're into the it. food oh. trap. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and that's a good point too. I haven't eaten today, um, so so we don't necessarily have a plan for who goes first on this episode. We don't have them labeled from ten to one like you might find in, nope. in other in other situations. We're just gonna kind of surprise each other. So um, I know I knew what. Lainey was bringing to the table because I didn't want to copy what she was doing. And she knows, you know, what I'm bringing to the table. But apart from, you know, the general things some people might know about these specific animals, we really are being introduced to this very freshly uh, ourselves, which is how I like it personally with Mm -hmm. Lainey. I like to, I like her just to talk my ear off and teach me something new. So that's what we're here um, doing. I, I will go first. That way you can finish us off. Okay. I mean, we each have the same amounts i don't know we'll figure it out i'll finish we'll you off one way or another and before wink, we wink. start of course wink, yeah. wink. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> your mother's listening i know she is hi mom <laughs> anyway but, uh, anyway before we go into it though we should uh, actually talk about what we're, what we're sipping on yes so, okay you so go, you go ahead, um, because we're talking about animals and creatures i am drinking <laughs> Flying Dog Raging Bitch IPA. And let me tell you, it's freaking delicious. I mean, I might just be saying that because I've had two and it's an 8.3, but no, no, it's it's good. It's really good. And the artwork is, as always, is crazy and ridiculous and intense. And I love it so much. Oh, I do love that beer. Yeah. Like, uh, like, you know, it's amazing with their, that's why I ended up liking the Sierra Nevadas. I like the Mm -hmm. colors. And the, you know, the aesthetic of it, you know, marketing to us kids out here. Yeah. (laughs) On the, on the bottle, it says, quote, two inflammatory words. One wild drink, raging bitch, raging bitch. (laughs) And then when I run out of this one, actually, I am going to be opening up snake dog, which is also by flying dog, which is another IPA because they're what I love. I love IPAs. What are you drinking? Um, so, I'm actually on a good old-fashioned double bag. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes! I have the big, 
I have the big um yes the big bottle and the and so I have I'm sipping out of it out of my to do list coffee cup and then when I'm done with that I'm gonna go to my one of my standard beers which is another IPA um, which we've had on a previous episode but double bag is really our name of the game today mm, God I love double bag I love long trail so much oh yeah I mean I I really do enjoy myself a hoppy beer if I do mm-hmm. say so myself so. All right, so leading us in to our first creature with interesting mating habits, I introduce to you the honeybee. Oh, I was going to make, um, for a drink this week, I was going to make the bee's knees. But then I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing the honeybee, so. I guess it would have been perfect anyways. It would have been perfect. Uh, oh, well, next time. So here we go. In order to ensure the future survival of honeybees, the honeybee queen must mate with drones so that she can lay eggs from which a new female worker and other queens can be raised. To do this, the queen leaves the nest or the hive and embarks on a mating flight to meet with potential drones, similar to that of the sowing of the royal oats, as King Jaffe Jofa, ruler of Zamunda, would say. (laughs) Of course he would. Why wouldn't he? I've been been on a big Eddie Murphy kick, yeah. To mate the ver- <laughs> he did, he said his, he said it like three times in the movie. <laughs> to mate the virgin queen honeybee leaves the hive, and she will have taken several earlier through a variety of different short flights, which will help her strengthen her wings because that's a big bitch. Mm, we all big. know what a honey yeah she's a she's a she's a biggin. So you know she's gotta she's gotta work up those wings and she's gotta get out there and, and perform some special little flight rituals so that she can actually feel strong enough to receive. Yes, yes. I you gotta have the energy. You gotta have the energy. When ready to mate, she flies to what looks like a mini swarm of male honeybees. This is the drones, is what they refer to them as. So it's a mini swarm of male honeybees. Do you think when they're getting ready, they're all buzzing around like... They do. They dance. So um, with with all... Oh, I see what you're doing there. I see what you did there. Boots and cats and boots and cats. Bees and knees and bees and knees. (laughs) So the drones mount the queen in mid-flight, okay, so super high up in the air. So this drone congregation, the area of all these male, uh, male bees, are pretty much having sex with her as she's in a, in a mating flight, which I think is actually quite remarkable. There's, they just do it uh, uh, to go, you know? Yeah. They, order the, they order in their dinner to go. And so the queen honeybee will mate several times, and research is indicated between 6 and 24 times during a single mating flight. Oh, wow. Each time the queen mates, she receives about six million spermatozo- uh, spermatozo- spermatozoa from each male into her oviducts, where 5.3 to 5.7 million, million spermatozoa. Spermatozo- <laughs> I know it too. This is so stupid. I said it. I said it to myself in practice too. Spermatozoa. Tozoa. Sure. Sperm a t o z o a. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're transported. Spermatosa? Uh, yes. Spermatosa. Yeah. Uh-oh. Are transported to the spermatheca. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's inside of her. The, the queen honeybee uh, may take two to three mating flights. Once the queen's sperm sac is full, the sperm will last her entire leg-laying lifetime. Damn. 
So, well, I mean, there's millions and billions yeah. just 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 nestled inside of her little love sack. Yep. Just, and it's just fascinating. During mating, the male honeybee, the drone, inserts his endophallus into the queen. After mating successfully, the drone attempts to fly away, but the endophallus remains in the queen. Such as that... Such such that the lower half of his abdomen will be ripped entirely off and he will die. So just like when they sting you. Just like when they sting so you. So they can't do anything but die. They either so, yeah, work but, or die. Yeah. Between 6 and 24 drone bees uh, sacrifice themselves for the line of duty. Damn. Yes. Other drones, however, will mate with the queen and in doing so will also attempt to remove the mating sign already in place and may or may not be successful to do in doing so. Three days after returning permanently to the colony, the honeybee queen begins to lay her eggs in her queen right colony, a colony in which there is a queen capable of laying eggs, eggs in which that are fertile. She will be able to communicate this to the workers in the hive or the nest by emitting pheromones. This is important because in cases where workers are not happy that the queen can produce lots of fertile eggs from which the next generation of honeybees will emerge, then the colony will rear a new queen to replace the old one. Uh, and this yes. is called a supersedure. Yes. Yes. So Just cool. Off with her head. Yeah. Oh, it must be, though, bitch. remembered. I know. Get, get her out. Yeah. Get her out. <laughs> It must be remembered that the honeybee colony is an, in, uh, an interdependent superorganism. This means that in order to ensure its success, as well as a productive queen, there must be an appropriate number of workers to drones to perform the various functions of the colony, and as such, the queen is relied upon to ensure this is the case. Workers do not mate, but they may sometimes lay eggs, which, mm. if allowed to develop into adults, will only be male, leaving the primary development of the colony left to the queen. Daniel. Long it's so the queen. intricate. Like, yeah, the just, bees. Yeah, well, for a, for the whole world, it feels like, you know, for everything to work together the way it does and just for every tiny little piece of everything to make sense for these creatures to have been living for millennia or more, you know, it's just insane. All yeah. the little things that, you know, yeah. So nature. So the strangest is thing, really awesome. Nature is awesome, and nature be scary sometimes. It does. But, it is. Uh, so I just want to. I think it would be fun to just have a little statement after each time we do this, just to point out the actual part in which I guess I would find it in a weird or bizarre or interesting mating uh, ritual. And so for the honeybee, I think that what I found the most interesting is that she just doesn't land as she's collecting the yeah. sperm. She's just they're just bitch on a go. It it's a her. bitch on a go. It's up, it's on go. Um, and so I found that to be incredibly interesting, a little bit bizarre uh, mm -hmm. compared to some of the other things that I was looking up. So that's awesome. I love it. Oh, speaking of which, um, since you're newly found your love for Reddit, you should uh, look up Nature is Fucking Metal. It's a good one. It's a good oh, one. That does sound good. Yeah, I'll have to do that when we're done here. <laughs> All right. So the next one I'm going to be talking about are giraffes. These freaky little bastards. All right. So female giraffes don't have mating seasons. They are fertile all year round. Every two weeks, a female giraffe will ovulate, called estrus. So fancy. Estrus. <laughs> Which produces, you guessed it, a strong pheromone that attracts males. It's not unlike human menstrual cycles, except that it's every 15 days instead of like every 30 or so. Which is just, oh, it's rough. Poor girl. 
So when a wandering male has caught the scent of an ovulating female giraffe, he will then come up behind her and start to gently thwack and like nudge her hind legs and like lick them a little and just kind of, you know. Thwack like with his neck? With his head and like his little horns. And just his like, little horns. Yeah. But it's gentle. It's not, it's not aggressive in any way. It's just kind of like, hey, back here. And <laughs> here. he does it until she starts to urinate. And then once she does, he bends his little neck down and takes a taste. And by little, I mean giant. Obviously, it's a giraffe. (laughs) (laughs) And if that's how the males detect if the females are actually in heat or not, is by tasting their urine. I mean, that's how I do it. I mean, yeah, it's it's how you know. Without a doubt. (laughs) You... He will then begin his hours or day-long courting process. He will follow behind the female while licking her back legs, poking at her, and trying to mount her when he can, and sporting a rather large erection the entire time. I was hoping, I mean, not that I was hoping I, you, for, a you lar- said for a it. large penis, but... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you said it. But it wouldn't it be funny if it were just like... The world's smallest penis in the animal kingdom. Yeah. This is a giraffe. Creature. <laughs> <laughs> but if you take out your microscope here, you will see. <laughs> on the safari. Yeah. On the safari that we went to on Disney. Yeah, at Disney. <laughs> so the female practically ignores all of this and continues to just slowly move away from him each time as he tries until she is satisfied with his advances. And it's so slow. I've watched a bunch of videos on it and like the male will just like, because they're so big they're and go- They're gummy. That like yeah. it, when he's like trying to get up on there, she just like slowly saunters away. Not even saunters. It's just like step, step. Step, One of my step. favorite parts <laughs> about denied. learning a, a lot about these mating rituals as well is how blasé the females are. How oh, hard, really? how how hard that the the animals have to try. In some in some cases, some cases it's it's not hard at all for the male to successfully. Well, yeah, but um, yeah. A lot of the my favorite actual mating rituals are birds of paradise because they just have some of the most insane and intricate things. But it's not. It, you have to see it. You have. There's no way to. There's no way, and that's why I didn't words. choose exactly. Them. That's yeah, exactly. That or the bower birds. Oh, there's so with many. Their, just with their little. Yes, they're, oh no, that's the grouse. That's the grouse that has well, the two like the uh, air sacs. Sacks. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it oh, grunts. So cool. I love birds. It. Prehistoric. <laughs> yeah, they're so insane. Like I said, just not. It's not good radio. <laughs> <laughs> If she decides that he's a good match, she will stand still long enough for him to inseminate her. Just a few mere seconds. That's all it takes for her to just be standing there still enough. And he gets it done. If another more dominant male happens by, though, the female will go over to the new arrival and begin to rub her neck on him to indicate a preference and to tell the other giraffe to move along. So if, like, in between, like, while he's still trying to court her before he actually impregnates her, like, if she's just like, no, I don't, no, and moves over to another giraffe, he just kind of has to walk away. Well, he's got to deal with it, yeah. A giraffe... A a walrus, that makes me think of a walrus, how they all, like, yeah... Is it, isn't it hippos them? that like the the gene pool is actually very small and like only like it's something like ten percent of all hippos will actually know what it feels like to mate because they <gasps> like the, only the the top 
the top hippos ever get to the top males ever get to mate with the females. That's interesting. I did. I didn't. I didn't know that. Weird stuff, man. Weird stuff. <laughs> a giraffe's gestational period is between four hundred and forty-six to four hundred and fifty-seven days. It's a long time. It's a long freaking time. Well over a it's year. A lot to, there's a lot to grow in there. Yeah, it's true. So I guess that makes up, you know, for the period being 15 days. Like, that's a long time. I've never seen a pregnant giraffe. I bet they look really cute. <laughs> I, I do bet it looks goofy as hell. <laughs> Mother giraffes give birth standing up, and the babies come out from a kind of Superman position with their front legs <laughs> in front of them, and then their heads followed by their hind legs. So they just, wah! <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I actually had heard something about this years ago and I had to, I was compelled to look up a video of a giraffe birth because yeah, continue. Once again, it's goofy and awkward. These animals are nothing but awkward from birth to death. They're just weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. And so yeah, for its first experience outside of the womb is a fall from roughly six feet to the ground. (laughs) When we were at Disney, do you remember that safari guide that said that, like, their hearts don't stop? Yes. Like, that's, so I, I, I okay, haven't that, been able to find any research or anybody else to back that up. And that could be because the scientists or zoologists at Disney were the ones to discover it, but I, I really don't know. I can't find it. Which kind anywhere. of makes a lot of sense because a tremendous amount of progress has been made at it's true. The, the, the wildlife conservation at Disney. But, yeah, that is what they said was, was that that six-foot drop helps to jumpstart their heart. And that's because if, that's if a what, giraffe like, were to yeah. give birth lying down, then the giraffe, the the calf, I think is it a calf, would uh, wouldn't wouldn't survive. And I just didn't believe it. There, well, no, because there have been plenty of giraffe. Like there's a giraffe. I think it's at the San Diego Zoo. I could be completely wrong though. But there, at some place, there's a giraffe that has a, a bent neck. Like her neck is permanently like to to the side because she was born. Her mother was laying on the ground, was was laying down, and so it fucked up her Aww. neck. Gobbles. So. <laughs> Go- gobbles. You know, gobbles the turkey. Oh. South Park. Go- <laughs> gobbles! Gobbles! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's that's giraffes. I don't know. I guess, I you know, like you are saying, we should... Uh, what I find interesting about that is that they, they drink the pee. I didn't know that. <laughs> they uh, The males love Not that the- pee. Not the suit, not the six foot Superman. I mean, the Superman is good. That's pretty good. The six foot is exactly what it looks like. It is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That they, yeah, that they drink each other's urine. You know. Well, no, 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 no. They don't drink each other's. He drinks her. Yeah, he's he's the males are the weird ones. Shocking. You know what I was thinking about on my drive home today was, um, you know, if only if it were if it weren't a, a mythical creature, Captain Newt's suitcase, but that mating ritual he does. With the big like rhino hippopotamus oh, creature, remember oh, that? Oh, uh, and the an snort. Aerobic. Yes, oh, and then but the the whole the whole yes. thing the whole dance move and the rotating around the. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh. oh gosh. Okay. So we're gonna make a a little transition and we're gonna dive into the ocean a little bit here and also you know, some parts of land, with flatworms. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And, and by an- when we said animal mating rituals, we just meant, like, creatures. Creatures. <laughs> mm-hmm. Creatures. That's why I, I kept kind of, like, implying creatures throughout here, because I knew that I was going to throw in a bug or two. So, <clears throat> so here we go. 
Flatworms. If we look at this objectively at simpler life forms, the answer is very much, very much, the answer is very clear. Being the male is way better, is a way better way to go because you still get to continue your lineage with considerably less effort. Hmm. Flatworms are hermaphroditic and can take on either parental role based on who does the inseminating. They are bilaterally symmetrical, meaning that they're both their right and their left sides are similar, and lack specialized respiratory, skeletal, and circulatory systems. No body cavity is present. Hmm. The body is not segmented. It is spongy connective tissue, and it constitutes the so-called paranigma and fills the space between organs. Unable to have a logical conversation about the matter, the flatworms solve the problem in the only way they know how, by trying to stab each other with their penis, and the first to inseminate wins. It is a sword <laughs> battle. It is a sword fight. The flatworm can present itself in many artistic... I know. That's, I love that. The videos. If you get a chance so to look at the videos. In the water, they just kind of like swim amongst each other, and then there are these... Each of them have these two little barbs, and they just kind of stab and stab and stab, and this can go on for a long time. Yeah, so. for some reason, all I can picture is the Princess Bride. Oh. <laughs> seem like a nice man. I'd hate to inseminate you. I'd hate to inseminate. I see you. That I see that you are using your left hand. I am also using my my left hand. Ha ha! I am a right-handed person. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so the flatworm can present itself in many artistic and genealogical forms. Turbelria a free-living marine species, monogenia, ectoparasites of the fish, and trematoda, internal parasites of humans. So ocean, marine life, um, and as well as um, humans, animals, those types of things, the land, uh, worms. Hmm. In regards so they're to everywhere. The marine, they're everywhere. In regards to the marine living, and, and if you there's a great uh, X-Files episode uh, where they actually cover this, and it turns into like a mutant. Uh, flatworm creature who just bites into people and like inseminates that way. Nice into, into the body and uh, the, into the body cavity of live people. That's fantastic. In regards to the marine living species, the idea of love or intimacy during copulation is hands down a complete rarity among animals. But it is not exactly the epic battle that it is with flatworms. When they approach one another and are ready to mate, it is instantly game on. They sit halfway up and they get their double-headed penis ready to strike. This also leaves them exposed to getting hit themselves. Penis fencing can last an hour and result in the flatworms being stabbed multiple, multiple times. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Ultimately, one deposits sperm into the other and emerges victoriously, complete, completing the paternal obligation. The flatworm that lost immediately begins to search for food and make up the resources required for making the eggs. Hey, you gotta heal so a bunch like, of wounds. Yeah, healing a bunch of wounds, and now they're like, shit, I have to have these eggs. Yeah, you know, like, I'm now, wounded. Now I'm... I've been stabbed, and now I have to be a mom? Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? Although some flatworms are free-living and non-destructive, many other species, particularly the flukes and tapeworms, fluke was the what, what they referenced in X-Files, are parasites to humans, domestic animals, or both. In Europe, Australia, and North and South America, tapeworm infestations of humans have been greatly reduced as a consequence of routine meat inspection. But where sanitation is poor and meat eaten undercooked, the incidence of a tapeworm infestation is high. 
In the Baltic countries, much of the population is infested with the broad tapeworm. In parts of the southern United States, a small proportion of the population may be infested with the dwarf tapeworm. In Europe and the United States, the beef tapeworm is common because of the habit of eating undercooked steaks and other beef products. Shush, shush your mouth. Don't tell me. Give it, give it to me raw and wriggling. Uh, that's basically what I say every time I order a steak <laughs> is um, rare, preferably still mooing. That's that's usually what I say. It's bad. <laughs> 36 or more fluke species have been reported as parasitic in humans. Endemic local centers of infection incur- occur in virtually all countries. But widespread infections occur in the Far East, Africa, and Tropical America. Many species are ingested as cysts called metacercary in undercooked food. The lung-fluked paragoniums found in crayfish and crab and the intestinal flukes, herophytes, and megalometagomias. <laughs> yoga, so many words. Yoko, Yoko Gawai and the liver fluke, Opus Thor, Thorkis. I'm sorry. Sure, whatever you say. Yeah, too. <laughs> whatever you say. First, we're gonna move. So that was just giving us like the, an example of some of the more popular uh, types of um, types of worms mm-hmm. that we flatworms, tapeworms, in the same family. Free swimming larvae of blood flukes penetrate the human skin directly and in humans these parasites and others listed below cause such misery and death control of certain flukes through the eradication of their mollusk hosts has been attempted without much success cystosomiasis is a major human disease caused by three species of genus cystosoma known collectively as the blood fluke Africa and Western Asia are an endemic center. Hmm. These are also found in areas of the West Indies and South America and as far east as Japonicum. I have no idea where that is. I know. Among domestic animals, the sheep liver fluke may cause debilitating and fatal epidemics of liver rot. And these animals become infected by eating the metacercary insisted on grass. Monogenia are common pests on the fish and in hatcheries and in home aquariums, where they can all produce internally inside of the bodies of both fish and human and other animals. Ugh. So, yes. That's gross. And I'm I know so tapeworms. sorry about all those words, guys. I'm so sorry. And I know that I've probably messed up on a lot, but I think that you get the idea, which is that flatworms, if they're not dancing and stabbing each other in a, in a, in a penis sword fight in the ocean, they are reproducing inside of your body, your colon, your dog's body or colon, random animals. Yep. Raccoons, yep. fish, uh, uh, and, and shellfish. They're everywhere. Yeah. They're, they're rough. Wow. Okay, that's, yeah. Have you ever had a tapeworm? No. Me neither. Thank God. I've heard that you can buy them, though. (laughs) What did Frank name his? Uh, uh, um, uh, oh my God. He, uh, he named his, 
<laughs> Charlie. Sent, he sent a letter. He sent it. He sent him a letter, and and a box of chocolates, which was for the worm. Yes. Oh, there are people screaming it right now. Oh. Frank's <laughs> tapeworm. That shouldn't be. Jerry. Jerry. Of course. <laughs> Jerry. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> All right. This one is super short. and But it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Antikinus? Antikinus? I'm pretty sure it's Antikinus. Antikinus. <laughs> Antikinus is a tiny mouse-like marsupial known... Um, Mostly for its compulsive sex, because it is more intense than a bonobo is about going after what they want. The antichinus okay. remains cha- uh, chaste, like so they don't mate at all until their mating season arrives and they are fully mature. Then the males seek out frenzied mating sessions, often lasting. 14 hours with as many females as possible doing so like are they all in like a ball of are they all like in a ball of like an like an orgy of no no they so these little mice are born well they're not mice they're marsupials the antikinus 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 whatever whatever the little marsupials and they've got like long little snoots and little mouse bodies i know what you're talking about and they're only in australia um, and so they finally, you know, they live their life, boom, mating season hits and they go nuts and they just start finding as many females as possible and they do not stop fucking. It's nonstop. They just go for like a day or for like, mm, is there for as long as they can, as because long as they can, they do absolutely nothing else, including eat or drink. And finally, their immune system starts to collapse. Oh my god. And they develop gangrene and infections, and their bodies dissolve, and they die attempting to still have sex. So they, they fuck themselves. They go into a fr- they fuck themselves to death. Yes. But in not just like a I had a heart attack, I'm gonna die. Like their body is dissolving away from them. And they like just their life force is being sucked from their body. Going exactly, exactly. It's just <laughs> non fucking stop. Literally, Those literally a frenzy of succubus. Oh, it's so it's a lot to think about. It is, and that's why um, it's short, but it's straight to the point. Because that's... my god, my I mean, god, how, how how can you be any more direct? They fuck I... themselves to death. End of story. <laughs> they know nothing of pleasure, and then they just die from it. And <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I mean, good on them. Good on them. You yeah, know, I'm I mean... sure the gangrenous sores definitely uh, don't hurt at all. I'm sure it's fine. Well... It was I, worth it. Talking about the females being blasé about things. You're <laughs> just like, just oh, like, are you dying back there? Hmm. Yes. Whatever. That's nice. That's nice. Moving along. Moving yeah. along to the next 15 frenzied <laughs> little marsupials. 
So my next one isn't as it's not super long, but it's it certainly is chock full of a little uh, series of interesting facts. And I, I chose this one not only because it's an easy topic in the sense of like when you go to think about a bizarre mating ritual, you know, this 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 creature may pop up in your mind. But there's always a common misunderstanding of what actually happens um, during mating. Not to say that it doesn't derive from a shred of truth, but it's not as intense or as dramatic as most people might think. So we're going to lead in to our next one, which is the praying mantis. So if you happen to find yourself outside and unexpecting, you might come across one of the world's most intriguing insects, the praying mantis. Despite their saw-like arms and alien eyes, they pose no threat. Unless, of course, you happen to be an insect, gecko, or hummingbird. <laughs> it's not that the praying mantis of the Americas are more abundant in the late summer and fall. It's more or less that that's when they become more noticeable. Which, have you ever... You've seen mantises here in Maine, right? Yep. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're small. Like they they're could, very they, small. You know, they're itty-bitty. They're very small. Yeah, I've seen them, like, I, I tend to see them on walls uh, on the roof of my car. Hell, I've seen one in my car before. They're, they're quite fascinating. Wow, you've seen way more. I've seen, like, two in my entire really? life. I've, yeah. I've, seen qu- I've seen quite a few. And it's always it's always in the fall. Mm. It's always in yep. the fall that I've seen them. Yep. Um, so during the fall and springtime, they'd be looking for mates. And so the males might be a little bit more active and more prone to flying around. This is why they become more visible. This is why we see them is because they're kind of like they're just they're just out there. They're in public. They're just they're putting themselves out there on the market. And, uh, you know, of course, that involves human contact as well. Oh, yeah. The animals have spent all summer hunting and growing, repeatedly shedding their exoskeletons as they reach a length of up to half a foot. Now, mind you, yeah, wow. and now, mind you, we, we've only seen the little ones. So half now a as foot. the days, yeah, half a foot. Now, as the days shorten in the northern hemisphere, they have only two things on their mind, food and sex. Ah, yeah. the average male. I mean, we spent the entire like first part of our podcast or episode just talking about food <laughs> yes so food and now we're talking about sex so <laughs> and sometimes those interests intersect brutally mm. praying mantis courtship can be a dangerous affair females have been well documented uh, biting off the heads and eating other body parts of the males that they mate with however the frequency of such violence is just about is just a tad bit overstated so, first of all, not all praying mantis species cannibalize their mates. Maybe if the female is starving or if the male irritates her, she might engage in that behavior, but they don't always do it. Yeah, that is completely contrary to everything that I've always heard. Exactly. In fact, uh, of the species that exhibit cannibalism of their mates, studies have shown that females make a meal out of the males between just 13 to 28% of the time. Oh. Interestingly enough... Getting eaten may not be as bad as it sounds. <laughs> a study published in 2016 found that when female Chinese mantises consume their mates, they acquire more important amino acids that are then incorporated into the eggs that they lay. They also appear to lay twice as many legs after cannibalizing a male than they normally would. Oh, wow. So while the male, yeah, so while the male would probably be better off to live and mate with multiple females... At least it seems his nutrients give his DNA an elevated chance of getting passed on to the next generation. That's in some awesome. cases, 
male praying mantises actually comprise a significant portion, if not a majority, of a female's diet during the breeding season. Whoa. However, these insects may eat other animals as well, including birds. Damn. I know. I know. I saw, actually watched a video on YouTube of a mantis uh, eating a bird. How do they catch so, it? Um, well, they, 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 they grip onto it. The, the larger ones, they grip onto it with the, with the, um, their razor arms. Little, and, then they, and, then they, and then they just start biting. That's insane. As it turns out, when a male mantis loses his head, it doesn't mean he loses the true urge to procreate. Oh. You read, you know, you heard that, right? Not only can some male bordered mantises continue mating even while being attacked by their female counterparts, some males are able to mount a female and initiate mating even after getting their heads completely bitten off. Well, isn't that nifty? Isn't that nifty? What the fudge? I, I, I Damn. Yeah, Damn. it is a free it is it is, it is a freaky uh, it is a freaky bedroom affair, but still more than I knew, and still not exactly what I thought. Once again, blase females. Oh, this guy doesn't have a head. Eh, dick yeah. still works. Whatever, right, dick still works. <laughs> what? By biting their head off the prey, biting the head off their prey is a favorite technique for hungry mantises. <laughs> so when the female mantises decide to eat an approaching male mantis, they tend to use a similar technique. It has been observed that in about a quarter of the encounters where a male approaches a female, he gets eaten. So how is that? How is how does that math work? If it's a quarter of males, but only thirteen percent of females, it was thirteen to like twenty-five percent. It depends on it depends on the species of mantis mm. as well. Yeah, because not because not all species of mantis are cannibalistic. And yeah, that's kind of. So this is more of a general statement um, for the ones that do um, uh, engage in a lot more cannibalistic behavior. Gotcha. Oh my gosh, Ramsey's the most dangerous right times for him are when he's approaching the female and during the mating act itself. When they are done, if they survive, the male simply falls off the female, or flies away. <laughs> you think that? I like that he harsh... falls off. He's just yes, Bleh. he just falls off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think that getting partially devoured would be a turnoff, you know? No. <laughs> but maybe it's not. <laughs> hey, don't 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 kink shame. No, oh, I'm not kink shaming. <laughs> About half of the males that are killed while attempting to mate are decapitated, but continue on to finish off without the heads, known as the headless horseman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> oh. So, believe it or not, praying mantises have been officially recorded eating birds in every continent except Antarctica. A study wow. published in the Wilson Journal of ornithology in 2017 compiled 147 cases in which the insects have eaten birds in 13 countries on six continents altogether 12 different species of mantises have been seen eating 24 types of birds with hummingbirds as their most common prey that was fantastic ah okay i didn't i really didn't know all of that about that i i really thought it was every single praying mantis ate them it's interesting I know I did too. I like it. Okay, so now I am going to be talking about the Japanese pufferfish. Oh my god. <laughs> In 1995, divers off the coast of Japan came across what some later called underwater crop circles. Though they had not been discovered until then, it didn't take the divers long to discover more of them nearby. These perfect geometric circles baffled scientists for over a decade before they found their mathematician culprit. 
the males of a newly discovered species of Japanese puffer pufferfish created these masterpieces to serve two purposes. The first is to entice females to mate with them, and the second is to use part of it as the nest for their eggs. Those bitty, itty-bitty fish don't have much physical flash. In fact, most of them are invisible, or mo they are mostly invisible. And they only the fish? yeah because they're they're pretty they're pretty low they're I mean they're on the bottom of the ocean and they're just only stretch about five inches long and they're the oh. males are they're little little babies I don't know why I thought that they were bigger um other puffer fish are but these specific Japanese puffer okay. fish are are quite small and almost translucent translucent okay. but they make up for that with their artistic intensity. The small fish will work 24 hours a day for up to a week straight to finish their sexy crop circles. They can measure up to two meters wide. So this little five-inch fish can make a two-meter wide art crop circle on the bottom of the ocean. Like, <laughs> it's like, in, like geometrically sound, too. Yes. Like. Oh, yeah. It's, it's perfect. It, it's a... It, oh. It's beautiful. You guys should look up a v video of them making it immediately. It's so cute, too. And if you were to stop working on it for longer than just a few moments, the current of the ocean could undo all of his hard work. So it's not bad for only a five-inch long fish. Not bad at all. During the nest construction, the puffer fish starts from the outside and moves inward to make their circles. Using his body, but mostly his very tiny thin fins, he excavates little ditches by flapping his fins and wiggling his body thousands of times each for, for each little ditch. It breaks the sand up into thousands of particles, and after a while he has created a circle of small ditches that he has excavated and then they can measure up to about, like I said, two meters. The circle consists of radially arranged deep ditches in an outer ring region, and then like a maze-like sha of shallow ditches in the center region, which is made up of that super fine sediment. And is, oh yeah, it looks, it looks like, you know, very nice to lay down in and just, you know, if you lived underwater, it looks very soft yeah. and, and comforting. <laughs> And so before he is completely satisfied with his work, the male will then remove any shells or debris from around the area and he'll decorate the ridges of the mounds he created. So just with the little bits of shell and like oh coral God. that he's found, he'll put them on the ridges to decorate them. It's so freaking cute. So <laughs> Sir David Attenborough said that, quote, nowhere else in nature does an animal construct something as complex and as perfect as this, which is oh. high praise coming from my man that Attenborough. That is high praise. Yeah. Did you know his birthday was on Sunday, on May 8th? I did not. He turned 96. 96. Oh. The first time, the, his voice has been ingrained in my brain forever as it has with most people but i used to have an old computer game like a cd that you would put in and it was uh, i think it was national Ge geographic and you went traveling all over the world and like he he was the voice of a globe that like followed you around and like you know i love it taught you about all of the different places on earth and animals and things and it was just like this little floating globe that had arms and white gloves yes yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those those core memories that's stuck in there forever we're really not worthy of him he's fantastic 
So according to Hiroshi Kawase, the curator of the Coastal Branch of Natural History Museum and Institute in Chiba, Japan, no one knows what the females are looking for in a partner, or more aptly, their undersea crop circles. But when they do find a suitable nest, they will swim into the fine sediments in the center and lay their eggs. The female then swims off and leaves the male to fertilize the eggs himself and to watch over them for another six days before he too moves on. So she doesn't even, like, meet him or anything. This guy works 24 hours a day, seven days straight, to make this beautiful piece of art. And she's just like, yeah, this'll do. I guess I'll lay my eggs, yeah. swim off. <laughs> Not even going to thank him. I'm just going to dump these eggs here. Oh, and you're going to stay behind and watch after them, right? Okay, cool. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I can see it too. Oh this my God. Ramsey, do you hear him? He's I, so I like demanding right now. He's trying to be a part of the podcast. He really is. He's like, you're talking about animals, but you're not talking about me. I don't want to talk about you, Ramsey. I want to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bum, 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 bum. Where are we? Sorry, I lost my place. Oh, it's okay. You got the little Ramsey over there, little Ramble. I know. He, he threw me all off. So Kawase said that even though there are other species of fish that make crater-shaped mounds in the sand, none of them do anything near as artistic as our Japanese pufferfish. He goes on to say that their geometric patterns have three features never seen before. First, they involve radially aligned ridges and valleys outside the nest site. Second, the males decorate these ridges with fragments of shells. And third, the males gather fine sediments to give the resulting formation a distinctive look and coloring. So they, they're like interior designers, these tiny oh little fish. Oh my goodness, even all the way down to the color. Yeah, the color. you got to make sure that palette is correct. <laughs> got to get that mood board going early. So the radial positioning of the <laughs> ditches actually makes it so that the current gathers the fine sediment into the center of the nest. So the way that they dig it in a... So in, it's, it's so hard to describe. You just have to look up the video. But it's a circle. But the, the ditches are straight lines that point in towards the center of the circle. And so the way that they swim and make these ditches with their fins and their bodies, the, the movement of them doing that pushes all of the finest sediment into the center, which makes the that part. the softest part of the nest. Yeah, exactly. So cool. That is really cool. <laughs> a study I, had, I, I saw a video years ago a study noted that the speed of the water was slowed by nearly 25 percent in the center where the eggs are laid keeping them more safe than anywhere else so not oh, only scientists too exactly. they're mathematicians that's what i'm saying they're, they are they are complete mathematicians it's a perfect geometrical shape it's always every single one of them that they've discovered has been perfect and that's why it's just that's so ah, ah, ah. so I was talking about earlier getting so excited just about how freaking incredible it is that all of these tiny pieces have to come together to make ah, I just love it. I love it. I love our world. I love I love what goes it is on an here. Incredible place it's that pretty we live. fantastic. And people try and say magic doesn't exist. It's just like these little puffer fish are better mathematicians right. than I will ever be. People's view on magic is just a little misguided (laughs) 
so yeah that's the the japanese pufferfish i didn't realize you know my cool new understanding of them is just how long it takes them to do it i didn't realize that it was goddamn romantic they yeah oh yeah i mean the males are the males are going out like so far out on a limb and they maybe never even get to meet the female they're just like oh here's some eggs thanks it's funny. It's funny because as Jesus humans, as humans, we the way that we treat men. I mean, it's changed a lot over the years. But like in, in our modern times, the attitude towards men being more of a bother, and that if we didn't need them, then we wouldn't oh, have them. I know. And you know, slowly shifting to that uh, underappreciation, like most, um, well, like most creatures that we that we exist with in our world. You know, they're they're there to help fertilize and leave. It me reminds alone. me <laughs> of. Um, <laughs> Wicker Man. Oh my <laughs> Nick god! Nick Cage movie. Not yes. the bees. The bees. <laughs> Don't they like sew up or rip out the tongues of like all the men in the village because they just use them to procreate and that's it? I don't remember. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, movie since I was a teenager. That's a good one. It is good. That's a good rewatch. We should do an episode where we come uh, with. You know, you know how we would have a book report in school. Come on, yes. movie report about a bizarre movie that we could report to folks. Oh, Lemos and I are hopefully we're gonna be able to go see Future Crimes. Have you seen a preview for that? No. With Vigo Mortensen. Oh, oh. the oh, director. Lovely. The director was like, I expect walkouts in the first five minutes. So, right there, you know it's gonna be fucking fantastic. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Those have those have great and negative effects at the same time. Hopefully. I mean, think think about um, becomes a cult classic with that tusk. kind of behavior. Think about yeah. Tusk. <laughs> there's there's a video of me somewhere somewhere of me being maybe a little intoxicated and in a full zip up sleeping bag. And just with my fingers in front of my face, just like screaming like Justin Long and Tusk. And you can just hear Maddie in the background saying, Laney's gone full walrus. Yes. I'm sorry. Nothing, nothing beats the Emperor <laughs> Penguin attempt. All right. Everybody listening. I want you to just take a second. I want you to take a second. I want you to look up a video of an Emperor Penguin calling. Listen to that sound, and then try and recreate it, please. It's like a bizarre radio frequency. Please, like it does, it's not even a. It's not even. A, it's, it's a bizarre sound. It, it, it comes from. It comes from another worldly place. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. I'm gonna get. I'm, I'm gonna. I no. I can't. I can't. As soon as I start. <laughs> Oh god. Yeah. I if anybody can figure out how to make that noise with their human body, please please contact us as soon as you can because I, I need, need to hear to it. You need to have some kind of mixer. There's just no way. There's just no way. So, okay. So, continuing on the the trend of marine life here. I'm going to be mentioning and talking about the octopus. So, with the octopus, they nonchalantly sidle up next to each other, circling but not getting too close. Then, in a sudden tangle of arms, the two larger Pacific-striped octopuses go at it, 
Bodies heaving. Um, it's octopi. Thank it's both. you. No, it's I... both. <laughs> the but the weird thing is, octopuses. But the weird thing is, these amorous cephalopods are mating face to face. Face-to-face mating is just one of the bizarre behaviors unearthed in the first published study of the larger Pacific striped octopus, mm-hmm. tennis ball-sized creatures that live on the muddy seafloor of the eastern Pacific. The research, which appears uh, in the public journal Library of Science One, revealed a phenomenon never before seen in octopus is. Octopi. An octopi. Let's go with octopi. Including males and females sharing the same den and tapping prey on the heel. As in, you know, they, 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 they play with them. So, like, oh. they, 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 they tap them on the fins. They, oh. They, um, yeah, they, they tap on the heel. They mate beak to beak, with the female gripping the male entirely. The pattern is more like the sex... The pattern is more like the sex in the squid or the, cu- the cuttlefish. In other sp- octopus species, the male wraps himself over the female or remains at a distance extending only his specialized sex arm to reach her mantle. The, resource, the researchers speculate that the beak-to-beak mating may let brooding females stay near their eggs while they mate again, or let males keep other males away from the females that they've mated with. Hmm. The more typical distance mating means that multiple males can mate with a female octopus at the same time. Females mate and lay eggs over a much longer period of time than is typical for an octopi, up to six months in their observations. This produced a brood that contained eggs at a variety of ages and stages of development. Females took care of the eggs until they all hatched over so a total period species? of eight months. What's the species? Of this, this is the about? this is the Pacific Pacific striped. Oh, okay. The Pacific striped octopus. This strategy, uh, so so once again, they take care of their brood for um, at, at most usually about eight months. Um, that's, various that's different life, life stages um, emerging all at once and at various times. Um, the strategy may let the larger Pacific striped octopus lay hundreds of more eggs than other shallow water octopi species, which may become sen- sensent when they first lay and lay and die when that brood hatches octopi are often solitary but the female larger pacific striped octopus sometimes shares her den with a male she's mating with the two would share food beak to beak and mate every day other reports have suggested that the species live in larger groups as well amongst each other this is not a common wow yeah i was gonna say this is what are they doing yeah they're and they're, 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 they're they're loving each other every day they're having sex every day and then when she when she broods, she's left alone. Huh. Um, alas, although the larger Pacific striped octopus has an extended spawning period and brooding period, they still die once it's all done. No. Yeah. And that's, Doesn't and that isn't that what all females do? They always the female give octopus? everything. Yeah. Don't they yes. almost always die. Yeah. Yes. Oh. They always die, and their body uh, is used to feed yep. um, their young. Because they are cannibalistic. Yep. They eat each other. Their primary diet is actually a, a lot of other octopi. So, in, in general, it's fun fact. I can't that. eat octopus anymore. Like, I can't. I, I can't, can't either. I, could, I couldn't eat it anyways. It, it's not my thing. And plus, that's, that's I have watched creature. you through the years go through one of the most intense 
changes as far as somebody can go with eating, I suppose. Just because you were completely oh. vegetarian for, for so long. Like, my, the, my entire... Exist like the entire time I had known you up until like what was it 2013 2014? No, no, it was like 2016. Yeah, yeah, because you started off with with fish, you started off with sushi. When I you came to visit me in Burlington, and all of a sudden you were eating sushi, and it was like a I, big deal. <laughs> that's a good point. But I remember my first my first steak was like ever you know from from being as an adult was a it was the a sirloin tip and it was the little like the the little ones filet mignon those, yeah filet mignon that's mm. what it was mm, um, so good that was my first that's the way to do it i'm glad you got a nice cut of steak and not like you know I'll skirt steak it. or something i'll never forget it too because and then after that it you know began began my ad- addiction to red meat and steak which you know, I'm back down to, it's a part of my diet, but it's not my diet. Yeah, most of the time, yeah. To be honest with you, my diet, because of the way, the way I work, my diet is far more tragic than that. <laughs> it is depressing. It is, it was incredible to see that change. Not in like a good or bad way. I don't mean incredible either. It's just, I've I've never seen somebody do that before. I've never seen somebody go from a vegetarian to eating meat. I have seen people go from eating meat to vegetarian, but I don't. For some reason, the the swap in the opposite direction took me. It was more. It was shocking. Um, if that it makes was an any issue sense. of it was an issue of not doing my best part to be a healthy vegetarian at the end. Um, it was very difficult, um, and it was during a period of my life where still making eight dollars an hour was a norm. Yep. Um, so living yep. a vegetarian yep. lifestyle, unless I wanted beans all day, you know, and or rice and or, you know, like if I wanted, I didn't want the same foods every day. And, and in order to live on a budget as a vegetarian, at least, you know, eight years ago, that was that was how you handled things. That was how you had to plan for it. You had to um, change your entire life up to, to fix it. And I was not in a place where I could even prep foods or I could spend a lot on foods for myself. Um, and I, I had to open myself up a little bit. Plus I was becoming iron deficient. For some so. reason, like, I can't remember what it was. It was some holiday or something. And you had been vegetarian for as long as I had known you. And you went to the party or something and there was not a single vegetarian option. Like nothing for you to eat there. And that I, I just, I'm so used to my mom being a pescatarian where she only eats you know, like fish and fowl. Yep. And so it was just like, it was so natural to always have a vegetarian dish of some kind somewhere at any party. It was, I, yeah, it was I never even I, have like, to think about stuff like that is, and I know just I broke my heart for you. Amazing food choices. <laughs> well, it, it would, when I first started becoming a vegetarian that was actually a huge topic of conversation in my house my parents are very conservative in that sense and also you know you know they have their own personality and I remember my father going well if you're if that's the lifestyle that you choose that's your choice but we're not going to change anything I'll never forget the day my mom made shepherd's pie and of course everything just like you know melts and cooks into yep. it so like all the beef you know it all there's it all ends no up. picking yeah and you know what and they used goddamn beef stock in in the mashed yep. potatoes 
And so I ne I'll never forget my dad scooping off the, the potatoes and the green beans and throwing it on a plate for me and being like, well, there you go. And if you don't like it, you can go to your room. And I was like, oh. Well, yeah. I guess I'm I'm going to my room. I was such a stubborn kid, and so I was used to that. I was used to not having oh, those kinds it, of though. options, and and it, and it being kind of a bother. And I just didn't. I didn't. It never bothered me. I know it bothered me though. more than it bothered you. Like you were telling me that story. You're like, it's fine. And I was just like, what? Why? I'm sorry. <laughs> because because I must have been doing it because all the all my other friends were doing it, and I wanted to be perceived uh, as cool, which was polar opposite. Than anything that say, could have been oh. anything accurate. I don't. I didn't know any other vegetarians right. until I was in my twenties. Especially it's from a, our area. Town. Yeah, yeah. I've, I don't know a single. Like you were one of the only vegetarians I knew. I remember it was a big thing at school too because they would always just the school food. You know what I mean? But mm. I'll never forget the giant pizzas. Whoa. The six the, the the six inch by seven inch pizza squares. Yeah. You know? oh. And having to pick off all the like the pepperoni and the hamburger, and knowing damn well that it was still kind of infused. Oh, it was definitely. But I was infused. like, I was like, I still need to eat something. My favorite were the salads that were just nothing but Italian dressing with like one piece of oh, lettuce floating on God, the top. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that's, there's salad. no better description. That's exactly <laughs> it. It would float. It would float. Oh all God. Right, so how many do you have left? Anyway, I got two. I have one left. Perfect. Okay. okay. Perfect. Okay. So the next one I'm covering is leopard slugs. So like oh. snails, these guys are hermaphrodites. The scientific name for leopard slugs, are you ready for this? Yes. Is Limex maximus, which literally translates to biggest slug. <laughs> <laughs> kills me so much, but it's so good. It's the perfect name. So, romance between slugs begins and ends with mucus. Biologist Chris Barnhart, mm. which is, uh, I like that me name. Me too. For, for a biologist, Barnhart, <laughs> said that, quote, slugs are merely snails without exterior shells. But in some cases, as it is with the leopard slug, they have an interior one instead. Even though they do have slightly more protection than slugs with no shell at all, they are still extremely vulnerable. Luckily, slugs are, are, equipped, yeah, are equipped with versatile mucus that helps protect them, provides a sluggy GPS, and helps leopard slugs mate with extreme splendor. Even in the slimy world of slugs, leopard slug sex is considered to be something of an oddity. All slugs are hermaphrodites and can fertilize themselves. However, they can mate if they choose to. So that I love that. That they're like, I could impregnate myself, but I'm going to go out and have sex anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By releasing pheromones into their slime, slugs indicate a readiness to mate. And some make quite a, spectac a spectacle of it. Under the cover of darkness, two leopard slugs have come together under a tree thanks to the allure of their pheromonic slime. They begin their slimy and intricate love dance that has the potential of lasting for hours by circling each other on the ground and covering their bodies and each other with and by covering their bodies with each other's sexy mucus and as they lick each other, eventually they begin their ascent. One Limex Maximus follows the other up the tree to make their way out onto an extending branch. 
the two then begin to slowly lower themselves down on a thick, thick rope of mucus as their bodies intertwine. So they're just, you know, they, they slime, slug their way up the tree over to a branch, and then they just create the thickest mucus that they can just dangle from the branch. Is this the same slugs that we see in our yard? Um, have you seen them? You could probably see them when they're like twirling each other. I've never, I've, I've seen that, but I've never seen it up in the air, like, like coming down from a tree branch. Then probably not aware of that. They're, they're, yeah, it's they, yeah, they drop and it's slow, and the whole time they are just encircling each other, and yeah, yeah, sounds hot. It, it is. I mean, they're making all of that. But that's not where the party stops. Both slugs then push out two quite large for their size blue penises from the sides of their head. They're right from the sides of their head. They're jagons. Yeah. Jagons. (laughs) And they get to work intertwining those as well. Both slugs transfer sperm to the other and fertilize each other's eggs. So they both win. They both win. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't that just precious? Yeah. So they're not everybody. Everybody gets a piece. You and everybody really, survives. If you go on to YouTube and you just type in um, leopard slug mating, the first video that pops up is like long and uncut slug sex. Oh. <laughs> it's just this guy. I oh. swear. It's At just least we're not naming heavy, our episode that. Heavy breathing, just like watching, like falling. It's like 18 minutes long of this guy just filming these slugs having sex in their like blue penises intertwining. I'm definitely calling this, this guy is put an effort into this. <laughs> it's so good. Long Eventually, cut slug sex. Did you find it? No, but I'm writing it down. Oh, good. Good. So eventually, one slug calls the whole ordeal off and begins to leave. The other tends to eat the sex slime they created together. Both <laughs> slugs will then go off and lay hundreds of eggs. Which is just, it's so cute. Like I said, they both win. It's actually, it is, that is not so bad. That is not so bad. No. There's there's romance. There's romance there. Uh, And unlike the female cuttlefish, it's reciprocated. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's what it's called. Uncut, full-length leopard slug sex. Oh, Oh, my. It is a lot. And they are, they are eerily blue. Like, the penises. I mean... Like that, Can you like see it? Oh my god, that's huge! Yeah, yes, that's yes, bigger than that's... I thought it would be. Yeah, there. It's like the size of the slug. It. They're big. They're big. Anyway, <laughs> from the like the sides of their heads, it kills me. Oh, my my Such my. Such weirdos. Yes, my my my. <laughs> All right. Well, so I mean, I'm, I'm... every bit of that is what I find weird. If we're, we're still oh, that is that is that is a, that is a perfect of definition of what we were looking for. <laughs> you did it, you did it, Lainey. You did it. Mm. Because mine, my next one, which is my last one, uh, goes down a dark and slippery path. To be honest. Ooh, I'm ready. I don't think you are because the females definitely weren't. Oh. So we're getting into ducks. Oh no. Ha. <laughs> 
Despite their reputation as adorable, waddling companions, gobbling up stale bread from old ladies, ducks aren't exactly the sweetest of lovebirds. While some mallards do mate for life, most subspecies of male ducks, or, per or appropriately drakes, mm -hmm. are actually horrible sexual predators engaging in violent gang rape and necrophilia of both genders. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it took a dark turn. All right, let's get into it. No one knows this Ted better Bundy. than the poor female duck, which wards off these quack bros by having evolved and twisty-turny vaginas. That's impossible to penetrate by conventional peens. Sadly, male ducks simply co-evolved with the right tool for the job, and it only gets weirder. The I duck mean... penis is not straight, but spirals counterclockwise, otherwise known as the rotini of reproductive systems. Have you seen <laughs> have you seen Roar on Hulu yet? No. Oh, no. Okay, well, I'm not going to ruin it, but watch Roar, please. Oh, I got rid of my Hulu. I got God rid of my damn. I refuse to There's pay an... like $4 more for less ads. I just so, didn't do it. Okay, then I'm just going to tell you. There, every episode is focused on like a woman's weird story. So it could be like, it's like Twilight Zone-ish, you know, where okay, every okay. story has a very, it's all. Like um, the vagina monologues? Kind of. Kind of. Um, they're all anthology, um, anthology episodes, so none of them run together, and one of them is about a woman who, you know, has had trouble dating in the past, and she always goes to the same, like, place in a park by a pond every day to talk to her sister, and finally, like, she puts the phone down or something, and all of a sudden the duck starts talking back to her, and she like, can hear the duck and starts dating the duck, and oh. she, like, she leaves and he she finally invites him over to her apartment she's like okay she i gotta go to like i gotta i gotta go to work and she comes back and he's shit all over <laughs> the apartment <laughs> and he turns out to be like super abusive like emotionally abusive not physically but it's just like tries to control her all the time that and she has to drake exactly that's why oh god it's it's a good show it's a good fucking and show. And shit's all over her apartment. <laughs> I, I do have to look that up. I'm going to write that No, down. you're going to have to. I'll give you my Hulu account just so you can watch those episodes. It's fantastic. Uh, well, all right. Anyway. So, to talk about <laughs> anyway. the penis a little more. Please do. From, from its base to its tip, the Muscovy duck penis completes six to ten fold twists over its 20 centimeter, which is about 7.8 inch length, penis. What? When it's time to mate, voluntarily or otherwise, they violently shoot up their still limp noodle into the vagina, only hardening once inside to perfectly conform to the Byzantine innards of the hen. That the female's reproductive maze still manages to prevent pregnancy from date rape drakes are still at a 97%. Sadly... That hasn't lessened the Weinstein gene. Oh. Yeah. As orked copulations are pervasively common in species of ducks, according to zoologist Richard O'Prume. 
as if having the penile equivalent of a drunk trying to stab you with the least appropriate attachment on his Swiss army knife isn't intimidating <laughs> enough, drakes have found a way to also use their uncorker against male rivals. Ducks, for one, are outliers with, within the avi- avian population. Like 97% of birds, ducks have penises, super long ones. They are among yeah. the best endowed in terms of ratio to body to member of all vertebrates. For That's example, insane. Yeah, seven yeah. inches. Yeah, seven inches, man. That is, that I've is, that never is, seen. I've. That is an average human penis. For that's... example, I don't know. Actually, I don't know average anymore. There's probably a guy out there that's like it's six. And Excuse a me, it's four. <laughs> Well, I could be. I don't know. For example, the one-pound-foot-long Argentinian lake duck has the longest of all, with a member that is four inches longer than its body. (gasps) Its body. What? Duck penises regrow every mating season. That's that's the most bizarre thing. Wait, so do they break off? What do you mean? They regrow. So it's going to talk about it here in a second, but it kind of shrivels back up until they need it. So duck penises regrow every mating season. Once the senus ends, the penis begins to shrink and regress until it's about 10% of its full-grown size. They are stored Ugh. inside of the duck's body, waiting to emerge only during copulation. The process Ugh. generally resembles a cross between using your arm to evert a sweater sleeve that is inside out and unfurling the soft, motorized roof of a convertible sports car with a hydraulic drive. I hate that. I hate Ugh. all of the imagery. I hate it. I hate it. And the, la- and the last bit of imagery. <laughs> like a selection of sex toys from a vending machine in a strange alien bar, duck penises come in ribbed ridges and even a toothy variety to hook the female's reproductive tract, which is as long and convoluted as the penis itself. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's nice, yeah. dear. That's nice. Yeah. My God. Yeah. I was really sad, actually, you know, just the, 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 the fact that they can actually block the attempts or that they can keep from reproducing at such a high rate is also quite incredible that they're still like, no, no, yeah. no. Wow. So wait, when are they cannibals? Ducks aren't cannibals. Oh, I thought you said they, they were. Um, no, but they've been known. Oh. Oh, and necrophilia of both genders. It didn't actually. Oh, specify. not necrophilia. I, That's not cannibalism. Yeah, no yeah, mind. For some reason, yeah, it didn't I, actually I swapped specify that in my any brain. Further. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they'll just they'll just fuck the dead ones. That's good. They'll That's just good. fuck the That's dead nice. ones. That's Male nice. and female. Love it. Love everything about it. <laughs> Ugh, gross. Okay, so for our last amazingly weird and fucked up animal mating ritual. We're bringing it to the anglerfish, which is my favorite deep sea creature that there is. All right, gotta crack the knuckles. Gotta get ready for this. It's so fantastic. Scientists began to discover and study anglerfish in the 19th century and classified them as ceratioids. Ceratioids. These scientists became wow. These scientists became perplexed when they realized that they were only getting half the equation. The specimens that they were working with were all female, and they had no idea where the males were or what they looked like. 
Researchers sometimes found some other fish that seemed to be related based on their body structure, but they were no match for the, what the other anglerfish looked like. They were much smaller, they didn't have the extended lure coming from the top of their head, or the iconic and terrifying jaw. It took until 1922 for Icelandic biologist, oh god, I'm going to butcher it. Oh, it's going to be bad. Bjarni Smudson. Bjarni Smudson. <laughs> to discover a female with two of these smaller fish attached to her belly by their snouts. The biologist got that name exactly right. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) The biologist figured that it must have been her offspring that somehow fused with her while she was giving birth. He remarked, quote, I can form no idea of how or when the larvae or young became attached to the mother. I cannot believe that the male fastened the eggs to the fertile female, he wrote. This remains a puzzle for some future researchers to solve. Literally pushing it down the road for somebody else to solve. Two years later, in 1924, British ichthyologist Charles Tate Reagan took up the reins and studied the elusive deep-sea dwellers. Back in 1901, Reagan started to work at the British Museum of Natural History. He then became keeper of zoology and later director of the entire museum, in which which role he served from 1927 to 1938. He spent most of his time classifying different kinds of fish, and thanks to his dedicated work, he was the first to describe the Chinese fighting fish, a.k.a. Betas, which is my very first pet. My very first pet. He lived for way too long. His name was Frisbee. He was red. That's a good name. (laughs) He was red. (laughs) While Reagan was dissecting a female anglerfish, he noticed she had smaller fish attached to her. Upon inspecting it further, he came to the conclusion that it was neither a different species nor her offspring. It was, in fact, her mate. What scientists thought had been missing had had in reality been in front of them the whole time. Females may be more than 60 times the length and half a million times as heavy as the males. Half a million times as heavy as the males. That's huge. I know, the size difference is remarkable. Huge! The previously believed undiscovered males had actually just been unrecognized and misclassified all along. After this revelation, it didn't take scientists long to discover why the males lacked all the flashy accoutrements that the females possess. Who needs to be flashy when your entire existence is boiled down to becoming a woman's attachable sex bank? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Male anglerfish don't need a luminescent lure to attract prey or giant jaws to eat it with because they literally don't hunt. They don't eat. They simply don't have a need to. Not when they have females. Reagan wrote, quote, It's merely an appendage of the female and entirely dependent on her nutri- for her for nutrition. In other words, a male anglerfish are the epitome of a deadbeat and parasitic boyfriend. It's really funny that you say that because I can, I can picture the meme of like the guy who's always like there's the memes of the woman paying for something at the register and her boyfriend yes. like hugging her from behind and like holding her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He doesn't have to go out and hunt. 
doesn't have to do anything to bring anything in just attaches to the female and all of the nutrients he needs just comes right through her yeah Yeah. that's it (laughs) although male ceratioids don't have the pizzazz of females they do have highly evolved nostrils that help them track down species specific females who are emitting intoxicating pheromones Once a male finds a female, which is seemingly an impossible task in the vast open space of the deep sea, he bites onto her soft belly. The tissues and circulatory system of the two fuse. So they don't know if it's like, if it melts, if it's like acidic, but as soon as he bites onto her, the two of them start to fuse together to become one. And he is fed by the nutrients received through her blood. The male becomes a, quote, sexual parasite hanging on for the rest of his life and unable to free himself, fertilizing the eggs produced by the females. So she just is like, I'll take this. And it's just, it's, it's a permanent sperm bank that she's got attached Mm -hmm. to her at all times. Mm -hmm. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I would love me a pair. The male completely loses his individuality and the couple becomes a single functioning organism. And she doesn't have to stop with just one. A single female angler can have multiple males attached to her at once if for some reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If for some reason one male isn't sufficient enough for the proper breeding. But also, for like, the ocean is so freaking gigantic that you've got. A male anglerfish is born. He's got his highly developed sense of smell. He's just swimming around the ocean. He finally picks up on the scent of a female. And he has no ability. He's got none of the the stuff that he needs to hunt on his own. He has to find a female to survive. Then, you know, he finally finds one. Oh, she's already got a male attached to her. Eh, too bad. I can still bite on and technically survive. Just just take the left side. You know what I mean? (laughs) There are some species of anglerfish that live relatively closer to the surface of the ocean than others. The males of these species are able to detach after a time if they wish to, and they are not as dependent on each other. For the extreme deep-sea-dwelling anglerfish, this bizarre and a bit morbid mating ritual is a necessity. There is no guarantee of when a female will encounter another male, so she must keep him as close as she can to ensure that there will be a future for their baby anglerfish. In 2018, researchers were able to get a 25-minute-long deep-sea footage of a live bonded female with um for the first time in history i'm pretty sure i sent you this oh, video 2018 that was yeah that was, the, that was the first time ever in history that they were able to you did the send only me the, video. the only time they've been able to see it before is when they've been caught and like brought to land and dissected they've never seen one in the wild alive before i'm 25 minutes of watching these these guys float around it's it's she's she's definitely gorgeous. A, a hard a hard to love woman that yeah. face But thanks to the advancing technology, scientists are able to dive deeper into the ocean than ever before and capture some truly remarkable, if not terrifying, things. Quote, this is a unique and never-before-seen thing, said Ted Peist, who is the world's expert on anglerfish, having described and named more than 70 new species. He said, it's so wonderful to have a clear window on something only imagined before this. 
there's still much left to discover when it comes to the lives and mating habits of these different species of anglerfish. It is still unknown exactly how the males morph into the body of the female, although it has been speculated that there is an acidic reaction in the female's soft underside that melts the scales and flesh of the male to her. So metal. That is metal. <laughs> but yeah, the, so the, the, I can't remember the name of the specific species of anglerfish in that video, but she's got a whole bunch of those she was spindly. The big one. It's the big one, right? She's big, and she's also got all of these, like, I don't even know what you'd call them, like, not arms, but these, like, spindly things coming off of her, but that they're bioluminescent, and they didn't realize that they had this kind of bioluminescence before this video either, and they think it's to either make them appear bigger to hunters that that see them in the ocean that think that they're much bigger to, that they're too big to swallow, or just enticing more food to them as well because of those so it's like multiple of those lures yeah it's so do you know how many do you know how many i probably not from the research that you've pulled but off the top of your head roughly do you know how deep they live down how many how far isn't it under extreme pressure so don't they live like at least more than a mile there are angler fish i mean they're not on the top they're not they're not close to the top but they are there's like they're they're anglerfish that are deep and then really deep and then very deep. You know, they're mm. they're down there. Oh, it's so fascinating. That is very fascinating. I think everything that I've learned today was incredibly fascinating. And I've also had some some perspectives changed a little bit based on what I have learned as well. So Yeah, I learned a whole bunch from this. I I really didn't know a whole lot going in. Yeah. I knew anglerfish were crazy. I knew the the basic... That was probably the one I knew most about were the anglerfish. But I didn't realize... There wasn't as much detail. I probably knew the most about the mantis. Um, or coming into it about the mantis. I had almost done one on the koala. Oh, fuck um, koalas. Because... Fucking hate koalas. Yeah, Lainey's got a thing against koalas. I do. But, um, They're the worst. But they are also, like, because of their eucalypt, their eucalyptus addiction, um, and there's... So they can't even else. digest properly. Oh, yeah. There's... Oh. It, 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 gives, oh. it gives them, um, like, an erectile dysfunction, and so they can even barely do that well. And... And they've all got syphilis they, or gonorrhea. I mean... Yes. Ugh. Yeah, they all... Yeah, so um, it's, it, was, it was just... It, I, I would have added that as my sixth if I had chosen. Another I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad yeah. you didn't, because I'm getting heated just thinking about them. <laughs> I'm getting upset. <laughs> Talking about that. George is getting upset. Just like the damn sunfish, which, by the way, God all the stuff that you told me, I did actually sunfish. look a lot of that up, and a lot of it has been debunked in some ways. So we have to talk about that at a separate point. I would love to a, talk about that at a separate point. About the sunfish, about like their complete uselessness, the ocean sunfish. Have you watched oh. their mouths when they are like... Yes. <gasps> bah, 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 yeah, that's exactly what bah. it's like. Oh, the... Uh, I, it doesn't even matter. Have you seen a sunfish? Have you looked at one? Have you looked at their pure size? Yes, the, compared to the diver, I did, yes. And huge. They're like, it's like two, di- it's like they're, the diver was, you know, half of his size. It killed a five-year-old boy. <laughs> one of so them jumped out of, so a sh- out of, out of, what is that? He did, he lived. So that was another, so, but it did happen. Okay. But it did happen. That's but good to know. Lived. 
I'm glad it happened. I mean, I mean. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad this giant dumb fish jumped out of the water and flattened a five-year-old or four-year-old. Somebody's four or five um, and survived. But I'm glad it happened anyways. I mean, it's a good story. That kid's got, you know, he's got a hook for well, life. You know, that's if he's doing all right mentally. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that was our episode. I hope we taught you something new about the ridiculous world of creature mating. Yeah, I liked this one. It was a much different uh, feel from last week. So Yes. Yeah. And, Not to uh, say that we won't be doing more dark and disturbing things. We will. I promise. We will. Yeah. I just also want to point out, if for anybody who's still listening or joining us, uh, we are welcoming two visitors. Um, actually, well, two countries as visitors. It looks like we've reached... Um, we reached it was Mexico and Thailand, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so our podcast has reached Mexico and Thailand, of course, as um, as well as America and, and Canada. So, not just America, but the USA. Um, so we've been keeping an eye out for that every week to see uh, what happens. Uh, even if you're an accidental click, I'm still happy you're here. Exactly, we're very happy, and you know, share us with your friends, share us with your parents. With your sister, you know, maybe you've got a weirdo grandmother that just needs something to fill her time. Oh, I love weirdo send us, <laughs> Send us along to her. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and uh, if you have any questions or if you'd like, if, if there's anything that you need to clarify or if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes that you'd love to hear us talk about, you're more than welcome to uh, email us at contagiouscuriositypod at gmail.com or get a hold of us on Instagram at cat and, or contagiouscuriositypod as well um, as the username and I am a little bit more active on Twitter trying to boost that up and that is Kat and Laney K-A-T-A-N-D-L-A-N-E-Y on Twitter yeah come hit us up even if it's to yell at us we just want to know that you're there so you know yeah <laughs> and and it feel and it does feel fitting to end this episode with uh, you know appreciate you all and thanks for all the fish for certain yeah for certain episode, at least for certain <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, guys. We love you, and we'll talk to you real soon. Cheers. Yes. Cheers. <laughs>